Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. All right. Good morning, everybody. Wait for the distracting other pastor in the audience. <laughs> Finish her conversation, I guess. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Ryan. I'm the teaching pastor here at LBCF. If you haven't been welcomed yet, welcome. We are a community learning to live in love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. Uh, we do that through the values of the slow life, the grounded life, and the generous life. Um, and I, uh, for some of the people who are in this room today, who I've met over the last couple weeks, this is the first time that I'm able to teach with you out there, and I'm excited to be able to do that. Um, I have a passion for teaching. I was a college pastor for eight years, and being able to sit with a group of people, to look them all in their eyes, and to be able to have shared experiences with all of you is something that I consider a huge blessing. Um, and the amount of people who are new to our community who have stepped into positions of volunteering and showing up LBCF at its core is this place where people um, show up and the people that want to get plugged in put their name in the hat right away and they get plugged in right away because we do have needs for people to show up and we also know that as a community we're a place where people come and they're, and they're tired and they're recovering and there's space for that too. There's space for both. If you have an energy to show up and participate, volunteer, we would love to plug you in. But also, if LBCF is a place where you're coming where you need to take a breath, there's room for that too. Um, and so we are in a series right now. For the next two weeks, uh, I will be wrapping up the series that we're in called the Psalms of Ascent, which are um, a collection of 14 Psalms 120 through 134. And uh, when I had originally planned this out, we were going to have the majority of November to do it. And then I remembered, oh yeah, Advent starts at the end of November. And I always like to have a message right prior to Advent about preparing the way. And so I'm having to cut this a little bit short, which means today we have to cover a lot of ground, which means I should have planned to have a much quicker intro than what we've already had. <laughs> but I didn't do that either. Um, so uh, last week, Danny taught us about that beautiful reminder that the best gift God had to give Solomon was in his sleep, and how rest, how there might be something that God wants to give you, not on the other side of hustle, but on the other side of rest. And two weeks ago, Barr reminded us that happiness is not something that we need to push away so often we hear, sometimes from church, sometimes from my own mouth and my own experiences, I have a hard time believing that God is okay with me being happy. And we often hear conversations in church about how joy and happiness are not the same thing. And while that's true, happiness is something that God longs for us. It just comes packaged differently than often we would like it to be. And so we are now getting into Psalm 129, 130, and 131, Psalms of Perseverance, Hope, Humility. 
The reason why I chose us to study this right now is that there's a there's an inherent understanding that the Psalms of Ascent would have been sung by a group of people journeying to worship. A group of people who, um, depending on how you interpret when these Psalms would have been sung, had endured years of hardship together and had collected something where the communal singing of these words were important for them to remind themselves of their history, but also to anchor themselves into something that both is far older than them and and will stretch far beyond their immediate pain without ignoring it, paying attention to what is happening in the real world right now. How do I respond? Today we have a psalm where there is an actual prayer, there is an actual hope that God would, would withhold his blessing from certain people. So we see this very real humanity of like, Lord, withhold your blessing from these people doing evil. And then in the very next psalm, a recognition of how much we need grace, humility, how much we need mercy. And so we see that right now as a community, when we met at the beginning of 2021, One of the main things that we said we need as a community, one of the main things that we saw lacking in culture as a whole is the the ability to connect. And not just be in the same building, because everybody here has probably experienced being in a group of people but feeling like you are all alone. Just being in the same place is not being connected and we know that we long for LBCF to be a place of connectedness. And, we, and I think these psalms are a great template for us to use. And how do we form words as a community that make sense of the craziness that we've experienced communally and personally? So one of our main goals in 2021 was to reconnect. And also we live in a world that screams live for the moment and sees the day. And then we're surprised that people don't know how to endure or persevere. We're so trained to, to live in the immediate moment or to distract ourselves from the pain of the immediate moment. If it feels good, we live in the moment. If it doesn't, we do everything we can to get out of that. And then we're surprised as a church culture that we don't really have the endurance that we see talked about in the Psalms. So what can we learn from these Psalms Today, So this is part one of two, wrapping them up. And I'm going to take the, the mic here because I am going to spend the rest of the time talking. We've got three psalms to read, and I need three volunteers. I worked with college kids. I can outweigh you. I can be more. <laughs> I promise. All right. We've got Holly's going to read Psalm 129. It's going to be on the screen. Okay. And then put your mask down. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. <clears throat> he has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows. 
with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms, nor do those who pass say, pass by say, the blessings of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Let's give a round of applause for Holly. All right. All right. That was Psalm 129. We've got 130 next. Who's up? Daniel. I just saw his hand even slightly move, which for me says that you were volunteering. Yeah. For the record, I did not raise my hand, but yeah, here we are. <laughs> Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen in the, for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Lord, hope in the Lord, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. All right. Round of applause for Daniel. All right. <laughs> You're all reading so well. Um, Psalm 131, a short one. All right, here we go. Got Danny. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O oh Israel, hope in the Lord for this time, from this time forth and forevermore. All right. Round of applause for Daddy. All right. So one of the things that I really enjoy, one of the passion points that I have when I'm studying Scripture is something called the narrative arc, something where you can look at an entire portion of text. Um, if you've come to our Thursday night Bible study, you will find that when you look at a text as a theme, what is trying to happen here? What is, what is the overarching story that's being told here? You can study the text in a way that is not looking at one word, one verse, one chapter, and you can see what is the heart of the author trying to move us forward into. And so I have an opportunity today, um, sort of by necessity, that we have to sort of skip the rock on the top of the water of these texts to get through three psalms. Um, and so... Uh, one of the ways that, that I study text, um, there's a lot of variety that over the next year and more that I uh, really want to invite everybody into an understanding of the different ways to look at the Bible because there's a lot of different ways to read it and study it. You could study it from all of the history that led up to that spot, so a historical cultural look. You could study a single word or verse, like a word or language study. You could look at a single chapter in its book context, like an exegetical study. You could look at a section of text, a thematic study. You could look at how a passage fits into the broader plan of God's story, narrative, and there's other ways too. And one of the things that the Psalms highlights for me is the necessity to understand the genre of the text that we're in. Because if we misread the genre, we misread what, how it's trying to communicate and what kinds of truths is trying to be used. When you read a poem, you don't analyze the actual 
truth of, of is, is that word literally saying what it's trying to? Because we understand that in a poem, it's trying to communicate and draw something out of us. It's trying to, to invite us into something beautiful. And so I reached out to a good friend of mine, a good friend. I say that because he's way more famous and popular than I am, but um, he's, he's an acquaintance of mine who is a very um, impressive and beautiful spoken word poet. Um, he is not a Christian, but the way that he writes poetry is amazing. And I asked him if, if we could show one of his poems to highlight um, a point that I'm trying to make. And so we're going to watch a video of him, and his name is Anise Mojgani, and he is one of the only people that I've ever seen who, when he read his poetry, a room full of about 220-somethings put their phones down. That says something. He got them, and he pulled them in, and he kept their attention for half an hour with poetry. And the temptation, I know as a photographer, is you want to record it, you want to capture it, but there was something about the immediate way that he said, be here with me now. And so I'm going to show you the poem that he opened that night with. Good morning. How are you? Awesome. Come closer. Come into this. Come closer. You are quite the beauty. If no one has ever told you that before, know that right now. You are quite the beauty. There is joy in how your mouths dance with your teeth. Your smiles are simply signs of how sacred your life actually is. So step into it. Come closer. Know that whatever God might be, he asked the world around him to help him make something of worth. He woke from dreaming, scraped the soil from spaces stuck somewhere inside himself. He made you, and he was happy. You make the Lord happy. Come into this. Come closer. Know that something softer than us but just as holy planted pieces of itself into our feet that we might one day dance our way back. Know that you are almost home. Come just a little bit closer. There are birds beating their wings beneath your breastplates, gentle sparrows that ache to sing. Come aching hearts. Come soldiers of joy, doormen of truth. Know that my heart was too big for my body, so I let it go. And most days, this world has thinned me to the point where I'm just another cloud forgetting another flock of swans, having shaved off so many of my corners that I have felt at home only in the shape of a ball, bending myself so far backwards that the song of my mother believed that I was returning home. But believe me when I tell you that somehow my soul still manages to squeeze itself into narrow spaces. Place your hand beneath your head when you sleep tonight. Perhaps you will find it there. Making beauty as we sleep, as we dream, as we turn over, 
When we turn over in the ground, may the ghosts that we have asked our answers of do that turning, kneading us into crumbs of light and into this thing-love thing called life. Come into it. Come, you wooden museums. Gentle tigers, little giants. I see teacups upside down glowing across your grins. Your hearts are like my hands. Some days all they do is tremble. I am like you. I am just like you. I too at times am filled with so much fear, but like a hallway must find the strength to walk through it, walk through this with me. Through this church of blood, bone, and muscle that is ours, there is a doorknob that glows like chance before you grab it, turn and pull, step through, back straight, chin up, eyes open, hearts loud. Walk through this with me. Walk through this with me. Thank you. So, I yeah, I wonder, I wonder if we have done ourselves a disservice if we haven't let this, this, the poetry of Scripture sweep over in that same way. I'm fine just watching that ten times, if I'm being totally honest. Um, but I wonder, have we allowed ourselves? Have Have you ever been told? Like, read through a text, allow it to skip along the story in that way, where one moment he's saying something literal, like some days I'm filled with fear, and then other times he's just skipping across something like saying, like, there are birds beating their wings beneath your breastplate. Like, how do we allow something that is filled with imagery and truth and personal anguish and personal story, how do we allow the Psalms to read us that way? How, what kind of invitation is a poem inviting us into? So I encourage you, let the Psalms read that way to you. Let them be that same sort of thing to you. They are worth studying, but also how do we look at them in, in their genre and understand and appreciate it in that way? Because we see things like there are they have dug furrows on my back. And we don't use that terminology a lot here, but that is the lines through which they would have dug into the ground to plant. It's an image of a person laid flat and their oppressors digging lines in their back to make profit off of them. This imagery that is powerful and huge and is, is filled with history I mean, we have, we have things like um, when it rains, it pours, right? We have these other ways of, of talking about when things get really rough. And it says that God has cut the cords of the evil. More pictures saying that even as evil people continue being evil and continue doing their work, that God has stepped in and made their work not accomplish what they're trying to. They'll continue to plow, they'll continue to do it, but the things that are connecting us to those evil things are being cut. So as we look at God in the midst of this confusing human life, this experience that we're all in, in the same way that Anise said, come closer, how are the Psalms inviting us into see like, the pain and confusion or the celebration that we also see, the hope 
how are we being invited to come into that? How are we being invited to actually look at reality a bit closer? And so Psalm 129 would have been a shared reminder of this collective pain, oppression, and struggle, and yet a perseverance. In Psalm 129, we see the reminder that God's people persevere. God's people are tough people who endure a lot, that faith lasts. And when I hear this, what rises up in me is this um, value that I had a lot growing up and something that I've had to undo with a lot of therapy and a lot of help and people speaking honestly to me about what they experience when they are around me. But I grew up where I had to be resilient. I had to, but what that meant in my life was I had to look out for myself. My resilience was I have to be tough because nobody else is going to solve these problems for me. And my resilience often looked like an individual toughness, but it refused vulnerability and it refused humility and it often pushed away community. There are times even now where I would love to be comforted, but people close to me, when I'm feeling pain, makes me more uncomfortable. That's not resilience. That's hiding from something. I can sense it in myself when I'm in pain, and I don't want people to get close to me. It's hard because they're seeing something very real, and I'm able to hide from it with all of the ways that I avoid The resilience that we're seeing in Psalm 129 is a communal interdependence that they are perfectly fine with. The community of God, God's people, lean on each other. They ask for help. They struggle. Maybe you coming here and singing worship with each other. Maybe you're you're not even singing for yourself. Maybe you're singing for the person next to you that can't. Maybe that's why we show up and we continue to participate as a community. It's not so that you would leave here and it's all about you again. Maybe this is the chance for us to lay down that false idea that the only way we persevere is by making it all about us. Maybe this is the place where we set that down because that idea exists plenty out there and it doesn't work and we see that. It doesn't work for long. Eugene Peterson talks about Psalm 129 and says, there's nothing fatigued or humdrum in Isaiah, nothing flat-footed in Jesus, nothing jejun in Paul, perseverance and triumphant and alive. That perseverance, triumph, and aliveness is something that we see in God's people. And then we turn to Psalm 130. It is a psalm of deep and lonely longing and yet filled with hope. It says, uh, can we put Psalm 130 up there actually again? It says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. If you've been here to study Mark, you you will have seen and know that um, when they bring up imagery of water, it is often an imagery of the chaos of life. 
It is an image of that is where when we see in Genesis where God puts the waters and contains them, it is an image of God decides how far chaos can actually go. And so when it says, out of the depths I cry, that is a person who is over their head in the chaos, drowning in the uncontrollable things of life. I cry to you, let my ears be attentive. And it says, oh Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? So it's an interesting follow-up that we see in Psalm 129, where the same, where the psalmist and this group of people, the pilgrim psalms, as they would have ascended the steps, the psalms of ascent, the idea, the understanding is that they would have sung one psalm with each step as they ascend to worship. One step, they're saying, look at all these evil people. I actually hope that you withhold your blessing, that nobody would even say, the Lord bless you, right? That you could say that on one step, and then in the very next, you are understanding that that same evil, the same capacity to hurt, the same capacity to overlook neighbors exists within the psalmist. Mercy. Who could stand if you kept a record? I once heard a saying that says, hurt people hurt people. And it helps me understand that when we, when we pray, when we sing psalms, when we join together as community, we can just as well call for the Lord to, to rescue us from the evil, from, from the fact that we are, we are disintegrating as a society of people who are able to see and hear each other when it hurts, that, our, that what is dissolving is our ability to stay in there when things get tough. We are now selling out for the, for, the, for the hope to have a mic drop moment where all of a sudden you say the perfect argument and it's over. We have sold out to this sad secondary idea of what it means to have conversation with each other. What if here we can look at in our church, if we can pray against that evil, and then we can also, and I'm so glad today we had the prayer of confession and repentance, how important it is, how biblical it is for us to also see the evil that is capable within us. Our own possibility that, that these things that we need mercy from exist within us, because I look at Psalm 129, it is a psalm from the from the position of the oppressed. But what if Babylon had been invited to sing that psalm? They wouldn't have been able to sing that psalm from this position because they were the ones oppressing. They were over here. That psalm translated for the other side would have been one of repentance. And when we read scripture, we need to be able to place ourselves well of where am I in this? Am I the hurting people, or am I the one hurting? And I think that the Psalms that we see in 129, 130, and 131 is a beautiful, a beautiful invitation to both. We have to be able to do both. Rescue us from their evil and them from their evil, and rescue us also. We can lament 
the damage of their evil on us and ours on them as well. But this psalm is not just one of obsessing over the darkness of their own sin. It's one of suffering and waiting and hope at the end. We, we hear the things like, when it rains, it pours. And I once heard this where um, it says, who else has ever sensed that rock bottom has a trap door, right? When you reach the bottom, all of the sudden when you've been having your worst day, why is it that your gas light never comes on when you're near a gas station? Like there was a time when I would come home late from a, from a photo shoot and everyone was asleep. It was like 1 a.m. All I wanted was a nice big bowl of cereal, something easy. So I get so excited, pour the cereal. Everyone knows where this is going because it's happened to everybody before and it's infuriating. You go and you set everything up and then you lift the milk jug and it lifts, it's a little too light. And I'm so furious that I just smack the bowl, cereal goes flying. Um, Clearly, that is not the suffering of Psalm 130, but it's still very, it makes, it feels evil to me, okay? So, let's put up the quote by Karl Barth, because I think that it's important here. It says, many people suffer because of the false supposition on which they have based their lives. That supposition is that there should be no fear or loneliness, no confusion or doubt, but these sufferings can only be dealt with creatively when they are understood as wounds integral to our human condition. Therefore, ministry is a very confronting service. It does not allow people to live with the illusions of immortality and wholeness. It keeps reminding others that they are mortal and broken, but also that with the recognition of this condition, liberation starts. And I think that's where the church needs to show up right now in our world is that we need to confront all of the ways that what has passed for hope is actually a deep fear, sadness, and a doubt masked with looking right or saying the right words. We have to confront the fact that what passes for hope now is actually a deep fear, sadness, and doubt masked with looking right or saying the right words. I mean, I think there should be a class of what can or and cannot be said at a funeral. I think, there, I think as Christian people, if you've ever sat with somebody grieving, one of the hardest things that I ever see is the amount of advice that they're flooded with. The amount of things that people put on top of them of what they should feel, of, of, of how it's all okay, of how they shouldn't feel what is happening right now. And it's okay because of this. And, and when I see that happening, I get this panicked sense. I can sense that they are so anxious about somebody else feeling pain. And Psalm 131 addresses that and says, like a weaned child... And if any of you have children and you've done sleep training, it, was, it's, it is a very hard place to be because you want to be able to reach in and comfort. And there are some places where the difference between a weaned child and one that is not is one is fussy, 
fearful. They do not know how to be comforted. But a weaned child still needs its parent, but knows how to be comforted. And so when I look at how we are engaging things like fear and loneliness, does it look anything like Psalm 130? I told a story to a couple friends of mine recently about how um, when I go in to get MRIs now for my thyroid, um, I've been cancer-free for a while, but it's still kind of a constant checkup to make sure everything's okay. Um, When I do that, there was a shift in me. There was a shift when I probably turned 18 because I spent three years in and out of hospitals. Um, But my shift now, when I pray as I'm laying on that giant x-ray machine, I say, Lord, let them find whatever is in there. Everything. And there was a time when I would pray, Lord, just get me out of this. Free me, rescue me, let them find nothing because I just wanted out of the hospital. And there was a shift where now what I long for more than anything, both in church and in my own personal life, is that whatever's in there, that we would find it. That we would look at the truth of what really is. And when I think about our, our loneliness and how often I can hide and how often I can actually not address it or how often I can gird myself up and push people away and call it resilience when what it really is is avoidance. What is the invitation? How can we actually pray something like, Lord, find whatever is in there? Because we live in a very politicized culture where it seems both sides really believe that they have the answer, that they have the answer to the problem, they have the answer to the argument, and if they don't have an answer, someone that runs a podcast or writes a blog, that they will have the answer, and the reality is, how well is that working for any of us? Not so well. So when I experience the pain that I um, do in my own life, and when I sit with other people in their pain, my words tend to run out. I tend to have fewer things to say. And so I've landed on, Lord, have mercy, and Lord, come quickly. Lord, have mercy, Lord, come quickly. My only hope for liberation and an actual movement forwards towards health is when I look at what actually is. And so if recognizing the reality of our own pain is hard, Psalm 131 is a great place to go because it's one of humility. And it's a humility through the maintenance of Christian discipleship. It's that constant look at how are we taking care of those things? How are we looking at, how are we pruning back those things in our life that other people would go, no, that's okay. You don't need to get rid of that. And anyone that knows when you're pruning, you're cutting off things that people don't, that don't know any better would say, that looks okay. Don't cut that back, but you know that you need to cut it back so that new life can form, so that it can continue in health. The Christian discipleship, the Christian maintenance moves us into this posture of humility. Um, Anyone that knows me knows I love my lawn very much, and I spent a good amount of time when when I started it from scratch. It was a daily thing. 
where I was out there pulling, I was like pulling weeds with tweezers. I was like, I'm going to get every single, and I thought that I was going to solve all the problems. And I, I was maintaining it a lot. And, it, and when you take care of it in that way, after a while it becomes maintenance. But everyone knows that if you let maintenance go, whether it is on your sewer in your house or your lawn, something's going to go bad and something is going to fall apart. Our Christian lives are the same way. We never get to hit cruise control because we are constantly, as we, look, as we see in Paul, as we see in Scripture all over, we are called to run the race. We're called into that constant discipleship, looking at, Lord, what are you pruning in me? How are you moving me from being a child that is fussy, into one that can be comforted. How am I a weaned child in that same way? So we see this arc here. We see this arc of the three psalms working together really well. Perseverance, hope, humility. And so when I started this series in psalms, what I really wanted to do was offer um, a way to pray through them. And so I created a slide here that talks about one of the ways that we can look at the Psalms in their three themes. This is not the only way to pray through it. This is just one. Um, but I encourage everybody that as you look to the Psalms, how can you pray th- through them? Pick one from each and read them each day. There are Psalms of orientation. Where are we now? Looking at reality of where we're at, telling the truth of our current situation. There is a disorientation. And if you'll notice, there are quite a few more disoriented psalms. But how normalizing is it that there are a lot more disorienting psalms? How nice is it to know that the psalmist experienced things moving from one place to the next and the confusion in that, right? So read an orientation psalm, a disorientation psalm when you get shaken up and then a reorientation where it points us into this ultimate reality something that's bigger and greater and will last longer beautiful hope i will also post this or holly can airdrop it to you Um, but i encourage you as you go to the psalms read them slowly read one of each. That is one way that we can pray the Psalms also. So how might this reading, this allowing it to be poetry, allowing us to not get hung up on, well, are there actually sparrows that beat their wings beneath the breastplates? And what could he mean by that? It's like, let it wash over you. Let these Psalms wash over you and invite you into what it's talking about. In what ways have you felt like you have persevered? How might that encourage you to persevere more? What ways have you experienced hope or loss of hope? What might this psalm be pointing you to? And we could all use a good amount of humility that we need the Lord to, to correct us and point us in the right way over and over again. So that we would hope that we would lament that the Psalms make room for both, sometimes in the same sentence. We, we strive and we struggle and we hope knowing that God is faithful. The psalmist does not have this huge span of time between those two. It is back to back. 
we struggle, we long, we persevere, and we hope and we trust. And the reality, everybody knows that there are strange times when as you are grieving, something comes up and it moves you to laughter, remembering something beautiful about that person, remembering something amazing that joy and sorrow can meet. And that's a normal thing. And how could we read the Psalms as something that normalizes that and invites us into something beautiful like that? And one of the ways that we do something beautiful, a beautiful reminder in that same way is communion. Um, I'm going to invite the band up again. Um, is the band here? Could somebody go get Jason? Thank you. Oh, he's here. Oh, look at that. This guy sneaking from our, our green room back there. Um, so as we move to communion, it's another way, it's another poetic reminder of what has been. We remember the past, we embody the present, and we hope for the future all at once. When we take the bread, we can be thankful for what the Lord has done for us, what we've come through. We can say, Lord, be a part of my life as real and as immediate as swallowing a piece of bread makes that a part of you. Lord, in me, he in us and, and we are in him in that same way that we can embody the present and we can long for a future where there's not pain anymore. We can hope and we can strive and we can say, Lord, we long for that and we hope in you. And so what I'm going to ask is for those serving communion to come up. Um, my wife, Vanessa, and I will be over here in just a second. Um, as you come up, allow yourself a moment to reflect and uh, Jason's going to be singing a song, which is Psalm 130, which I think is uh, one of the most immediately applicable and necessary psalms for where our world is right now. One calling us into perseverance and hope. How can we continue to hope? And I think that communion is a great place for that. So nobody will be dismissing you, but... You can come up. Uh, we've got gluten-free bread right there, and we have a loaf of bread that was baked by Samantha Islandfeld today. So um, I'm very excited about that. And uh, <laughs> in the cup, we have wine, and if you do not want wine, we have cups with juice and a cracker in them. So let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for the Psalms and the way that they give us permission to persevere, they give us permission to hope, to admit our own failure, to long in, uh, for rescue from things that are confusing and painful, and a reminder of how to be humble. Lord, would you draw us into the beauty that the Psalms are trying to? Lord, would, would we allow ourselves to read it in the same way that we read other poetry? with less criticism, just allowing it to be beautiful. Thank you that we have this in our Bibles, Lord. Thank you that we have the privilege to be able to sit here with each other and talk about these things. 
Thank you for this church, this community. Thank you for their voices. Thank you for the ways that they show up. Thank you that they, that it did not take more than an hour to fill all those Thanksgiving bags, Lord. Thank you that we just have a community of good people. Would they sense how much you love them and how much you care about them, how beautiful you think they are, and the good thoughts that you have toward them? Would they leave here knowing you love them so much? In Jesus' name, amen. 